Welcome to the IoT Idols podcast. I'm Ryan Cousins, co-founder and CEO of Critical. We help bring bleeding-edge technology products to market through a combination of hardware and software modules and professional engineering services. We believe every innovator has a powerful collection of experiences and knowledge that can help inspire others in their field. If you have a story you'd like to share, stick around at the end of the show and we'll explain how you can be a guest on one of our upcoming episodes. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you could be the next IoT Idol. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another amazing episode of IoT Idols, Innovators to Watch, brought to you by our friends at Critical. And I'm always so fascinated by the innovation that we have, that the Internet of Things has been able to move us forward. And when you think of the world of 3D printing and where we've come, and where we're going, there's so much opportunity. And that is why it was so critical to bring on our next guest, Brian, to tell us about some of the ways that he's really bringing innovation to 3D printing. And so, Brian, I'm so excited that we were able to link up today. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you because when I saw your website and I saw everything that you were working on, I just got overwhelmed and jumped right in the rabbit hole of everything. And so I would love to learn before we talk about 3D printing in this capacity, I'd love to learn about how you got into the Internet of Things. Yeah, so my my background is a mechanical engineer, um, and that's what I went to school for. And my first job actually was working for a sensor company. Uh, we developed special sensors for monitoring everything from aging aircraft uh, to what eventually sold the company, which is gas turbine component monitoring. So uh, doing sensing and instrumentation inside of the hot section, the backside the really hot section of uh, airplane engines and energy um, gas turbines for energy production. That's so that kind of got cool. me started and the rest is uh, a little bit of a, you know, it's a stepping stone. Um, you, you start working with one technology and then someone asks you to do something different and you kind of end up where I am now. I think so many of our guests have said that exact thing, that there was this initial study, this initial discipline, and then just that question, right, of well, what if, you know, how or how, you know, can this be done? And then it gets done and it just leads us down, you know, all of these just amazing innovations. And so I'm really curious how you got from doing that kind of work into 3D printing, but this isn't just any kind of 3D printing that you're doing. Yeah, that, that's so the sensors that we were making, um, we had to think of innovative ways in order to apply them. Uh, the specific implementation that resulted in my company getting acquired and us uh, kind of moving into the GE organization uh, as, at that stage in my career, um, you know, involved printing the sensors directly onto the gas turbine blade components. So we were printing um ceramic coatings essentially onto these metal parts and we were doing so in a, in a 3d manner and we use the aerosol jet which is the technology that i work on now uh to be able to do that and we developed a bunch of equipment to do it at manufacturing scale and 
after a while of working at GE, I decided I wanted to get into product and, and Optimec offered me the opportunity to take the leap and become a product manager. So that's how I kind of got where I am now. <laughs> that's so exciting. Thank you for sharing that with us, Brian. So when I was looking at this and for those tuning in and they, they may not have gone to your website yet, but I know they will because at the end of the show, we will tell everybody exactly how to connect with you further. But when I was watching this, like it is so precise. And I mean, the the technical, now I'm curious, like how many, uh, like I know that you're making sensors, but how many sensors are required for that level of precision when it comes to the print? Well, so for the application for gas turbine, uh, we were putting sensors in specific locations. So each sensor, the printing operation only took about a minute, but in some cases we were putting one sensor, in some cases we were putting 10 sensors, in some some parts we were actually putting 50 to 100 plus sensors to really try and map out the, the strain, which is the, and more specifically creep and fatigue strain in the components uh, as they went through their life. So it really kind of depends. Um, the, the printing machine itself was very easy to set up to be able to put these sensors pretty much anywhere on the surface. And uh, the more sensors you put on, the more data you get out of it. So so that's one thing I was curious about is with you know up to, to 50 sensors in, in a location, I'm just curious, like how much data, you know, in, in a plane, I'm sure it's incredible amounts, but I'm just, I'm, I'm curious, like what types of data are you, is like super critical for you to analyze in that process? Sure. So, I mean, I guess it is a point a point in making a distinction what we were printing was was what we call an indicator so it, it's a strain uh, sensor but it's passive in the sense that you put it on the blade you put it into service and then when the part comes back into uh, repair and remanufacturing services they stick a boroscope inside of the the tool and they measure all of those sensors and every single photograph generates thousands of data points about what that particular area of the part is doing and um the amount of data that we collect, meaning the number of sensors and how much data we get out of each one, really was dependent upon the type of measurement we were trying to make. So for us, uh, making a creep measurement, which is the elongation of the part due to temperature and time over lots and lots of hours, um, required a, a pretty um, high level of um, measurement detail in order to discern anything valuable out of it. And so every photograph we would take, we take, you know, thousands of data points out of it and we'd push that data up into the cloud. And then we would compare it with previous measurements and measurements from adjacent sensors. And we could essentially understand whether or not the part was doing something that it wasn't supposed to do. And the whole point was to try and take that part that's bad of all the parts that are in there out of circulation, replace it one that's good so that the part can keep running in, in, in its uh, environment what it's supposed to be doing. So one of the things that that make that I'm curious about Brian is the way that you were making, you know, these sensors before versus, you know, the internet of things and being able to print sensors like this. I'm just curious it, what the difference is in cost of production in time of production. So I've just, you know, cause when I think about this, you know, I think of like, you know, my uncle at the old Pratt and Whitney, you know, uh, locations back in the day where they're making turbines and stuff like that. And just, you know, being a little kid, you know, and walking in yeah. and seeing these big, you know, machines and big equipment, you know, versus today. And, you know, I saw this printer, not that it's, you know, a small gadget, but in comparison, I'm just curious, you know, what, what's the, what's the economies of scale like that, you know, 
know, in terms of, you know, and also like how much more information can you get now that you can 3D print versus the, the manufacturing process before? Yeah, well, I think the value of the printing is really the, the positioning of the sensor and the ability to put it anywhere you want. Um, traditional string gauge instrumentation is, is a thick film technology and you have to bond these things on using adhesives and stuff like that. So being able to print directly on the surface of the blade and do so on a very complex 3D part is the value of, of what it really does. Now, the economies of scale depend on the application because there's different markets. Uh, the energy market, which is land-based gas turbine, sure, you've got thousands of components per uh, setup, but you know the machine costs $100 million. So to instrument each part uh, at the cost of a couple of minutes per part and a, and a few extra steps in the process is not going to be that impactful. Now, in the aviation market where every single you know, plane has two or four engines and each engine has thousands of components in it. And you've got, you know, orders of magnitude, higher production volume requirements. Certainly you do start to take uh, an impact. And so then in that case, the, the use case is more about performance characterization. So being able to instrument a machine and put it through a test and characterize the, the, I don't know, the wear and tear or the reliability of the components as they go through their service life um, in order to try and indicate whether or not the engine design is doing what the engineer thinks that it's doing. So it's just a feedback control mechanism for validation of performance uh, and reliability. Um, whereas in the energy market, we're putting them in every terminal because we want every single part instrumented with the hope uh, that when one part is, is bad, we can remove it from circulation and keep the, the system going. So they're, they're different applications, um, I think, um, but it is still relatively a low volume capability, but so is applying any, any sensor. I mean, if you were to apply a thermocouple or a strain gauge or any of these sensors that's connected to a data acquisition system, and let's say you had a thousand turbine blade components, um, you'd have to put a strain gauge on every single one. Think about how manual that is. And there's also a cost associated with that. I mean, the, these are intricate processes and being able to print them um, and automate it is a is a is a different it's a paradigm shift in in applying sensor uh, sensors onto components in the first place. So it, people just need to, I think, understand that that capability is out there, um, and then it's a case by case basis. Um, just instrumenting every. Everything just for the purpose of doing it so that you can tell like what the performance level is in the air. I, you know, I think that that's probably not um, the primary use case for it, to be honest. Yeah. So, so I was just going to ask, so what are, are some other use cases and applications for this technology? That's great that you ask. Uh, so aerosol jet, which is the printing technology that I work on, is used for printing all kinds of functional materials. So we take nanoparticle dispersions, uh, what we call inks, think of it like uh, paint being sprayed onto a car, and we put it inside of our print head and we deposit it down onto surfaces in a unique way. Uh, we use uh, CAD CAM technology in order to do our programming and path planning, just like you would for CNC machining operations. And then the printer is able to have the material loaded into it. Depending upon the hardware configuration, we can control the feature size or the line that's being printed from as low as 10 microns, which is you know very, very, very small, um, uh, all the way up to well over a millimeter in feature size. And th the amount of material that comes out scales with it. So 
let's say a, a, a silver ink or a gold ink. Uh, let's say that we wanted to pr print a gold sensor or a gold trace onto a ceramic part. Having that part dialing in the process of what the printing operation is, the printing process to lay down the material onto the surface, and then the post-processing technique in order to functionalize that material onto the surface. Um, you know, it's kind of the same process everywhere, but then we apply it to electronics, we apply it to medical devices, we apply it to obviously industrial gas turbine and aviation markets. Um, we do a lot of work in the DOD and defense world. Um, we're getting very heavily into uh, microwave and RF and 5G technology in the form of antennas and interconnects to connect uh, silicon chip devices to radiators that are added onto surfaces in unique ways. I mean, we have seen the application space for being able to print a small amount of material onto a part exactly where you need it uh, to have a lot of value for a wide range of different markets. That's incredible. Because when I was looking at this, I just, my mind, like I said, I went into this rabbit hole of all of the potential applications for 3D printing metals, 3D printing electronics. And just like the, like you were saying, the the way of being able to do that in such a tailored approach, you know, because not every application or every scenario is going to be the same. And so to be able to have some control over, over what that looks like is just incredible. And so, you know, I, I was thinking like 3d printed electronics, you know, to me, that's still trying to navigate, you know, 3d printed plastics. You know, I was like, man, this is, this is so overwhelming, but it just also so exciting. So it's, it's great to connect it to learn so much about this. And I'm just curious, you know, for you, Brian, you know, like when you first started getting into aerospace, you know, was this something that like you had fathomed, you know, that, that you would be headed down as a career path? Well, you know, I, I got started in engineering as a, as a young kid because I like doing stuff with my hands and building things. And, you know, the engineering projects that I got to work on uh, when I was younger, which is more in the energy side of things, more than aviation. But uh, I got to see some really cool things be implemented. But, you know, I always kind of brought myself back to the product and, and wanted to be close to the product. And I wanted to have influence over what the equipment that I was buying as a as an engineer and a customer of the companies who buy additive equipment. I wanted to have some influence and some say uh, to to make the product better. Um, things that I saw, and that's that's kind of how I got to where I wanted to, or where I am right now. Did did I see myself going down that route? I mean, when I started college, all I wanted to do was be an engineer and design systems and and be around technology. And I still am. I'm just uh, doing it in a slightly different capacity than I was originally trained for. So. Well, and I, I think this opens up so much, you know, possibility and opportunities, you know, for, for advancement across so many different fields. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to see where things go for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so I'm asking you, you know, you're, you're the one that's, that's moving the world forward. So, you know, where do you see this going? Well, I think that uh, with respect to IOT specifically, sensors and instrumentation is just going to become ubiquitous. It already is, to be honest. I mean, there's sensors going into everything. You have companies selling CNC machines with sensors that they didn't have before, so they can monitor things like factory output and uh, toolware and, and things like that. You have uh, robotic systems and drones for doing logistics and delivery. You have, uh, I went to a conference not that long ago, and they were printing um 
surface acoustic wave devices, these saw devices that self-power themselves onto farming equipment that sits out in a field for years on end. And it can transmit signals for, for miles with virtually no power. They're essentially self-energy harvesting. I think that you're going to see sensors on things that people never really thought about. Um, cold packaging. I mean, every you're going to see start seeing packaging uh, inside of boxes that tracks uh, temperature. You can see it right now with the COVID vaccine, right, where they track the temperature of the vaccine when it moves through. And I think that um, all of these devices have the ability to connect to each other. They all have the ability to transmit and and uh, send signals. I think that my product that I work on allows uh, companies to add sensors to devices in ways that they may have never have never thought about, or you know they don't want, they don't have the ability to buy an off the shelf sensor and add it to their technology. So you know there's benefits there, and that's that's kind of where I think I think everything's just going to be connected. Everything's going to have sensors. The whole concept of IoT, and I and we see customers asking us for this all the time. Um, and it's just becoming ever more present that devices that didn't, didn't need to be smart, they're becoming smart because the value that you get out of it is that it's connected and you can tell what it's doing and you can gather information and improve efficiency and uh, gain insight that you couldn't before out of pretty much any process. That's so funny. My, my first career, I worked at a, at a drive-in movie theater, Brian, of all things. And the projection mm -hmm. system went from 35 millimeter film to this digital projector that could take a bunch of different file types that could stream, you know, television live, you know, to, to the, to the drive-in screen. And like, I was just so blown away that, you know, the cinema experience, you know, IOT is, is everywhere. And one thing that I saw on your website that just like really made me think was I saw a phrase meters to microns. So how big and how small can, can these devices and these products and these sensors become like just how much information can we collect and down to like how much information can we collect at microns? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting, um, Question. I think that the the meters to microns for us is 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 a you know terminology across both our product lines. I mean, we do structural metals, so you know, printing, tooling, and fixtures. They're not necessarily sensors or instrumentation, but they're functional three uh, D objects that are printed on the machine. I mean, the largest machine that we sell for printed metals with directed energy deposition is a meter and a half by a meter and a half by a meter and a half. You can print big parts, and these are you know complex machines that do that. And then on the aerosol jet side, which is, you know, albeit a, a slightly different technology, but still has the ability to print, uh, you know, millimeter scale devices down to microns. Um, we're, we're printing sensors on the order of, I don't know, less than a hundred microns in feature size. Uh, so, I mean, one of the a couple of customers that we're dealing with right now are printing trace, you know, conductive trace widths for things like sensors for strain monitoring and temperature monitoring that are down to 20 microns in feature size, which I think, you know, if I, if I did the math on uh, 25.4 microns is a, is a tenth of, or a hundredth, a thousandth of an inch, sorry. Uh, so you can do the math on that. It's pretty small stuff we're talking about. And how much data can you collect from something that small? Well, I mean, our customers are the ones who are printing the sensors, and I'm sure they collect a lot of data. Uh, data, and you know, the the applications for existing sensors. I, I don't know that 
uh, our ability to print the sensors and the devices increases the amount of data that can be collected. It just allows the sensor to be applied to, to objects and things that they weren't able to be applied to before. And the data collected from them can be used in unique ways that uh, wasn't really enabled with traditional sensor technology. So that, that's kind of what I um, view as the, the value proposition. Now, the amount of data that's being collected from all these devices out there is, is impressive uh, to say the least. Not all of it's stored. I think some of it is used in real time to make decisions, kind of like your cell phone has an accelerometer in it and it can tell how fast you're shaking the phone, but it doesn't necessarily keep that data over long periods of time. So just because you have a sensor and it outputs a signal doesn't mean that you're necessarily gonna store the data or you may not even use all the data from it. Maybe you only use one small amount of it when something happens, um, like a trigger event or things like that. So I think that sensors are, the application of sensors in engineering practice and for everything from automobiles to medical devices to aviation components, that that has, um, you know, been relatively established, but they're, they're using the sensors in unique ways. They're applying it to objects they couldn't before. They're getting data they couldn't before. And I think that that's really where the value statement comes from. For sure. That makes so much sense. Uh, so one last question, Brian, is like, when, what is the most unique service that you have you have worked on? Like we just with this technology, is there something that like when you just started the project, you're like, I never would have thought, you know, this was something that that could be done or would be done. Yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of applications like that that I've had in my in my time here at Optimic. A lot of them I can't really talk about because they're customer, customer applications. But I do think that the application that I talked about previously. Um, the non-destructive testing and evaluation sensor uh, that being applied to industrial gas turbines. I mean, putting a sensor inside of an environment that's over 2000 degrees Fahrenheit and having it survive for uh, tens of thousands of hours so that you can make end of life decisions for these very, very expensive components is just a technology that did not exist previously. And, and there's not very many other companies working on those types of uh, technologies out in the marketplace either, because they're very, very difficult problems to solve. So I, I, I still think that that one is uh, kind of one of the most, um, and I'm, and I feel blessed to have been part of the team that uh, developed it and implemented it at scale. And, you know, now I've moved on to, you know, working on other sensor implementations for lots of other customers. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'm just so excited that, that we met today, Brian. For all of our friends that are tuning in right now, what is the best way for them to connect with you? Well, uh, LinkedIn is a great resource, uh, obviously. And um, you can also reach me uh, through our website uh, at www.optimac.com. Um, so that's those are the two avenues that I would suggest. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining IoT Idols. You are absolutely an innovator that we're excited to watch. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And to all of you, we're so grateful for your time. We're so grateful that you tuned into this amazing episode. And I'm really excited for the next episode of IoT Idols brought to you by Critical. We'll see you soon. Hey, this is Critical CEO Ryan Cousins again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Idols podcast. 
If you're an accomplished engineer, inventor, product manager, or technology entrepreneur, and would like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please go to critical.com slash podcast slash apply. That's K-R-T-K-L dot com slash podcast slash apply. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or share it on social media and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know someone you'd like to have us interview, let them know about the show or tag them on social media using the hashtag IoT Idols. We're always looking for great guests eager to share their stories with our audience. We're regularly posting new episodes, so make sure you subscribe to our podcast, follow us on social media, and join our mailing list at critical.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, be excellent.